Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. If, um, if you're new to North Roanoke, welcome. We're so glad you're here. What we do generally is, is work our way through books of the Bible. And I know it's Easter Sunday, but we happen to be in the book of Esther. And so if you've got your copy of God's word, if you would find your way to Esther, there's no shame in using the table of contents. But if you open your Bible to the middle, you should be in the Psalms and go backward toward the beginning until you get to Esther. We'll be in chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. And if you would just hold your place in Esther chapter 4, verse 15 for a little bit, uh, I've got a longer than usual introduction. I want to begin this morning by saying if you are new to the whole Christianity thing, Maybe you're just curious about it all. We are so glad that you are here today. We are here today for a victory celebration. Easter is not ultimately about bunny rabbits or eggs. It's not even about family or the delicious brisket that I'm going to eat as soon as I figure out how to land the plane on this sermon. Which is going to be a little difficult for me to do because I'm excited. And I was already excited this morning when I woke up thinking, God, please send us enough people to fill up all the chairs that we put out. We put out 250 chairs, and you did a whole lot more than that. So now I'm uber excited, but I'm most of all excited because Easter is a day that we set aside to celebrate the greatest truth conceivable. The great enemy, death, has been conquered through our living God and King, the crucified, risen, and reigning King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus, Savior, Salvation, Deliverer, and the victory that he has given is a victory that is worth celebrating. And the one who is given the victory is a Savior worthy of worshiping, and if you don't know him yet I pray that soon you will, because knowing Jesus is literally the difference between life and death. Let's pray to him right now. God, help us. Help us in the few moments that we have together today to fix our eyes on eternal things. God, help us not to be distracted. There's a a million ways that we could be distracted right now. But Lord, what you want for us is for us to lean into your word, to lean into ultimate truth and ultimate reality. God, we we pray that you would help us to get a glimpse of the glory of Christ and the good news that death has been conquered through his resurrection today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we read the text in the book of Esther. I I need to set a little background today. My objective today, after a year that has threatened our confidence in just about everything, my, my objective is to remind us all that we can still be confident about the most important thing. Jesus is God's promised son. He came from heaven to earth to be a man, to live a perfect life, to die for sins, and to be raised from the dead on the third day. He is the living 
king and lord of the universe. And the promise of the gospel is this. If you stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Jesus, you don't have to die in your sins and face God's just anger against them. Because Jesus already faced it for you and he conquered it on the third day. The resurrection of Jesus proves that he is God, Romans 1, 4. It proves that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. It proves that Jesus really has power over death, Romans chapter 6, verse 9. And it proves that Satan has been stripped of his power to control your life through the fear of death because that fear is removed through Jesus Christ, the grave-conquering King. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. Without the resurrection, we would have no reason to be here. We would have nothing to celebrate. But if the resurrection of Jesus is true, and I'm here to tell you that it is, we have a victory to thank God for. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a victory it is. Though death seemed certain, though separation from God's love seemed irreversible, though God's promises of a people worshiping Him in a place forever seemed unlikely, it all changed when Jesus Christ arose on the third day. And for anyone in this room or online who is skeptical or anyone whose faith is frail today, I want to remind you that Jesus' resurrection does not appear out of nowhere like some made-up story or made-up legend. Did you know that's what the world wants you to believe? The world wants you to believe the Easter story is just another good religious story. And there's probably some people in this room who are like, well, the story of Jesus is just like all the other religious stories out there. And you know there's a word to describe what that way of thinking is. You know what it is? Bunk. Hogwash. Can I say that? It's crazy talk. There's no other religious figure who's prophesied for 1,400 years before he shows up with meticulous detail. Jesus doesn't just appear in the first century and die and conquer death. God tells us what his son's going to do over and over and over and over again. They don't want you to consider the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. How do you explain the birth of the church in any other way than that somebody conquered death? Because what was the message of the church? We saw a guy. We walked with him for three years. He said he was going to die, and on the third day he was going to raise, and we thought he was crazy, but then he did. And then they spread that message across cultures and languages. This is not Islam. We don't restrict Christianity to just Jewish-speaking people or Greek-speaking people or English-speaking people. It explodes on the world scene like wildfire. Even though they face death for the message that Christ had conquered death, they would not deny the message. Why? Because they saw Jesus with their own eyes and the Spirit of God changed their hearts and it transformed their outlook because they knew that Jesus had conquered death and if Jesus had conquered death, they could live for him no matter what. They would not rob the church of the message message that Jesus conquered the grave. And if that's not enough for you, I want you to consider the evidence of the scriptures itself because Jesus is the fulfillment of what God promised in the Old Testament for centuries before he came. 
Jesus, in fact, tells us on the day of his resurrection, on the third day, in Luke chapter 24, 46. This is, hear the words of our Lord Jesus. Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. But he's not the only one who said this. The Apostle Paul, who encountered the living Lord on the road to Damascus, says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In other words, the church has been saying this from the time that Jesus conquered the grave. What did he receive? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament scriptures. According to Jesus and according to the greatest Christian missionary ever, the Apostle Paul, Jesus' resurrection on the third day is prophesied and foreshadowed in the Old Testament. In scriptures recorded hundreds and even thousands of years before he came. And if Jesus is right, that the Old Testament tells us that he would conquer the grave on the third day, then that means, right, that we should be able to go to the Old Testament and we should see the Old Testament making a big deal about the third day. Are you all tracking with that rationale? If Jesus says, the Old Testament says, that there's going to be some deliverance happening on the third day, then we should expect the Old Testament to say something about the third day. And guess what? It does. Genesis chapter 1, God makes the world the first day, he does stuff, the second day he does stuff, but on the third day, dry land appears, vegetation appears, fruit trees appear, the things that are necessary to sustain human life emerge on the third day, and guess which day in the creation account is the first day that God calls good? The third day. Incidental? Accidental? No, but let's keep going because unfortunately Adam and Eve sin. They fall. They are exiled from the good garden. And then in Genesis 22, Abraham is told to take his one and only son, the son that he loves, to the mount called Moriah and to sacrifice him as an offering. And you're thinking, what in the world is God doing? God said that the blessings of all nations, that God's promises are going to be fulfilled through a promised son. Why in the world would he tell him to take his promised son to a mountain and sacrifice him? And then, do you remember what happens on the third day? God provides a ram to take the place of Isaac. But that's not the end of the story. In Genesis twenty-two fourteen, God says this is a foreshadowing of the reality that one day a son will come. One day a son will die. And though he dies, he will rise from the grave. In the mount of the Lord, there is an offering that will be provided. But it doesn't just end in Genesis 22. Genesis 42, when the sons of Israel go to Egypt searching for food because there's famine in Israel, they are put into custody, into prison for three days, into a holding cell. And on the third day, they're released from custody back to grab grain from Egypt and take it back to their family. God provides the promise of a lamb who will conquer death on the third day. He feeds the hungry on the third day. In Exodus 15, after the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness, they've crossed through the Red Sea, and they set out for three days in the wilderness, and they find no drinkable water, only bitter water, and the Lord shows Moses a log to throw into the water, and on the third day, the bitter, undrinkable water becomes sweet. 
And they come to an oasis in the, an oasis in the middle of the desert where there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees on, on the third day. On the third day, church, God provides a special place for His people to worship Him. On the third day, He promises a lamb who will die for His people and give them life. On the third day, He feeds His famished people. On the third day, He gives sweet water to those who have been drinking of the bitterness of life. And here's a spoiler alert. These third days in the Old Testament, these little glimpses of the deliverance that God is going to provide are all wrapped up in what Jesus does on the ultimate third day. Are you hungry spiritually this morning? Jesus will feed you. Are you tired and bitter of life, trying to make sense of it all? Jesus will give you sweet water for your soul. Are you tired of trying to make a way in the wilderness of this world on your own, feeling like there's no purpose? God will, in Christ, give you the place of rest that you need to truly commune with Him and worship. But perhaps you're unconvinced. Maybe you need another example. Maybe you need an example that's that's more distant from Genesis and Exodus. Maybe you need an example that's written down centuries later, one that proves that God's people were facing certain death until everything changed on the third day. And if that's what you needed this morning, I'm so glad that you asked. Because it just so happens that we are in the book of Esther at the part of the story where everything changes for the people of God. Guess when? On the third day. As we break into the story, a decree has gone out for the destruction of all the Jews. They are living under the rule of King Ahasuerus in the Persian Empire. And if God's people die, then God's promises will die as well. His promise to bring a son through the Hebrew people will die. And the only hope in the book of Esther seems to be that this Hebrew woman, Queen Esther, a Jewish woman who never bothered to tell the king that she was a Jew, would risk her life by going to the king uninvited and identifying with the Jewish people so they might be saved. So let's, let's read in Esther chapter 4, beginning of verse 15. We'll go down through chapter 5, verse 3, what happens. Hear now the word of God. Then Esther told them, to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. If you are new to North Roanoke, I want to let you in on a little secret. I love helping people see Jesus as promised in the Old Testament and as the one who fulfills the Old Testament. 
what we see in these verses is both an example of what it looks like to trust in the Lord to deliver us from death, as Esther does, and it is a picture and a prophecy of the victory that comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This morning, we're going to first consider Esther's example of faith in the Lord who shows up and delivers people on the third day. What we see in the example of Esther is we must reject self-reliance and trust in the Lord who conquers death on the third day. The other thing we must reject is ignorance, right? Did you know everybody's going to die? One out of one people dies. And there's only one way that you can conquer death. It's in Christ, the Son of God, who came down to conquer death for you. So if you are here and ignoring the reality of death, I want to bring you into the reality of this story. A decree has gone out, everybody's going to die. And we stand under a similar decree. We are going to die. The wages of sin, the price of sin is death. And we can't rely on ourselves to get us out of death. Man, I, I'm starting to exercise again. I used to be a decent runner. And uh, I've been having some health concerns, and so I've started to exercise again. Did you know I am fat, old, and lazy? <laughs> and tired. And I... I I am trying to do better, but at the end of the day, it's not going to conquer death. And some of you here today are just ignoring the problem. I want you to step into the reality that you're going to die. You're going to face God, your maker. And the only answer you're going to have to give that will conquer death and deliver you into life everlasting is, I don't deserve it, but Jesus died in my place, and I love him, and he conquered death for me. We've got to stop self-reliance. We've got to stop thinking that our keto diet or 10 hundred hours on the treadmill is going to conquer death. It's not. All the time in the gym is not going to stop you from dying one day. It's coming. There's only one way out, and it's by trusting in the death-conquering Lord of the universe who promised to send his son on the third day. In verse 14, Mordecai challenges Esther to go to the king and to appeal for the lives of the Jewish people. But Esther knows that she is not the deliverer. She has nothing to offer, and so she doesn't just walk in to see the king right away. Instead, she calls for a fast to signify that she is completely dependent, not upon her wit, not upon her charm, not upon her beauty. She doesn't depend on any of that stuff. She depends on the Lord. And this is no routine fast. This daughter who had been obeying Mordecai's commands, Mordecai is the one who had adopted her, at a young age, and was essentially her father. She had been obeying Mordecai, but now she is ordering Mordecai around. She says, Mordecai, you go call for a fast. Get all the Jews in Susa together and, and join me in fasting for three days. And not just some little fast, an extreme fast. No food, no drink for three days. Now, do you think it's an accident that Esther calls for a three-day fast? I mean, why not a two-day fast or a one-day fast or a, I would prefer a 30-second fast? She calls for a 
three-day fast, no drinking, no eating. And this fast leads to the reversal of the fortunes of God's people on the third day. What greater clue do we need that this book is about Jesus? Esther puts her faith in the Lord who rescues his people from certain death on the third day. Why? She's looking back to the promises of God and ahead to his promised son at the same time. She's saying to the Lord, I agree that death is certain. And I know that you will reverse it because you promise that you will. My hope is not in me, it is in you. Lord, I am trusting, though we are as good as dead, that you're going to do whatever is necessary to send your son through your people to raise us up to life everlasting. And so for three days, facing certain death, God's people act like they're dead. Did you know dead people don't eat or drink? They don't eat or drink. So for three people, they're agreeing with the Lord, we are in a situation that we can't solve. We are as good as dead. Did you know that's where salvation begins? You've got to recognize that you're as good as dead without the Lord doing something for you. You've got to agree with God. The wages of sin, the price of sin, the penalty of sin is that I must die. We also face a decree of death because we have sinned against a perfect and holy God. You say, what is sin? That's, that's some theologian's term. Sin, here it is. It's anything we say, do, or think that displeases God. It is the result of rebellion and misplaced worship. Rather than remain faithful to God, we have pursued idols we have wasted our time. We have wasted our money. We have spent our lives on things far less than the glory of God. Not just you, but this pastor. We've all done it. We worship Satan rather than the sovereign Lord, Paul says in Ephesians 2. Our sins lead not just to physical death, but to death of the worst kind, a forever death under God's righteous anger against sin. We, we die, but we never die. We die, but we're always conscious of the, the righteous anger of God toward our sin unless Jesus is our Savior. And I've got some good news for you today. The God who ends up through Esther's faithfulness delivering the Jews in Persia is the God who sent His promised Son through the Jews to die in our place and be raised to life everlasting. While the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, the price we owe for our sin is death. The promise of the gospel today is you can look to Jesus and agree that you deserve to die. You can embrace his death in your place and you can live. You can be like Esther. You can know that no matter what happens in this life, that you can look to the Lord who delivers those who trust him on the ultimate third day. You can know that Jesus conquered the grave. For those who trust in the risen Jesus, there's no reason to fear this morning. Because Jesus is the one who has said in Revelation chapter 1, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Did you know the only place that death and hell are conquered is in Christ? He's got the keys. He can release you from death everlasting. He can rele release you from the hell that you deserve because Christ has already conquered it. Esther shows us that the only escape from death 
is to trust in the Lord who will conquer death on the third day. But Esther shows us something more about true faith in God. She shows us that we must live by faith in God's Son no matter what it costs us. We must live by faith in God's Son no matter what it costs us. After Esther and the Jews seek the Lord through this extreme fast for three days, it's after she fasts. Have you ever done a fast? I mean, I don't feel like doing crazy bold things after three days of no food and no drink, but it's after three days that she goes to the king. It's on the third day that she puts on her royal robes and she goes to the king uninvited, knowing that the penalty is death unless the king accepts her. The only thing that has really changed in this story so far is Esther. Now her life is motivated not by a desire to escape physical death at all costs, but a desire to trust the Lord and do His will. In verse 17, this queen who had lectured Mordecai about the fact that she was going to die, now says, if I die, I die. And the meaning is, look, I'm probably going to die. And so be it, because my trust is in the Lord. Friends, when we trust in the Lord, when we stop trusting in ourselves, then we can be confident even when we face death. When we trust in the Lord, we are freed to spend our lives for the glory of God and the good of others because Jesus says this in John eleven twenty five: Those who believe in me will live even if they die. Jesus keeps all the promises of God to us on the third day. Esther doesn't know what God's going to do through her obedience, but she is confident that even if she dies her, and her efforts seem pointless, God is somehow going to keep His promise to her on the third day. She does not know if her third day is going to be the ultimate third day, but she trusts that God's Son is coming. And when you know that your life is entrusted to the Lord who conquers death on the third day, you can do whatever it is that God asks you to do. So after three days with no food and no water and probably not looking her best, what does Esther do? She puts on her royal robes and she goes uninvited to a king who is all about not being dishonored and all about appearances and she risks her life and puts her life on the line trusting that the promises of God are going to prevail even if she dies. This is what happens when we trust the Lord. We get a new confidence to live for the purposes of God in the world, to be embarrassed and disregarded or even killed as we take a stand for the king who died and conquered death on the third day. In Esther's case, she walks into what seems like certain death and the king accepts her. He offers her whatever she wants up to half the kingdom. In our case, when we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus who walked into death for us and conquered it, we don't get half the kingdom. We become co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17, which means we get all the kingdom. We get to be with the king in the kingdom that is coming through Christ forevermore. And if we inherit the kingdom of God, what do we really lose if we give our lives for him now? So for those who know Jesus today, for those that this Resurrection Sunday maybe marks your first time back with the people of God in a while, I want to ask you a question. May I ask you a question? How is God 
leading you to live in such a way that your family and your neighbors in the Roanoke Valley and the nations will know and see that you serve a king who has conquered the grave? How are you pouring out your life in such a way that you say, my life is nothing compared to the life that I have in Christ? Did you know our world needs some Esthers today? Our world needs some people who are convinced They may have once been cowardly, but now they are convinced that there's no greater purpose in life than to put our lives on the line for the sake of the Lord and those who will trust in Him. For three days, the people of God are as good as dead, and now on the third day, they have an advocate in Esther with the king. And it is at this point in the story that we begin to see the correlation between Esther and Jesus. It's at this point we begin to realize that Esther's not just showing us what it looks like to believe in the Lord, she's also showing, showing us some things about how Jesus would save himself. Did you know that should be true of us as well? Did you know that the church should show the world what Jesus is like? Esther, because she believes in the Lord, ends up being a beautiful picture of the salvation that we get through Jesus on the third day. You should likewise be a beautiful picture in your life of the salvation that God gives through Christ. So I want you to notice, as we close, the parallels between salvation in the story of Esther and the salvation that we receive in Jesus. And then I want you to rejoice, and if you don't know Jesus, I want you to trust Him today. For the Jews to be delivered from death in Persia, what did they need? They needed an advocate. They needed someone who would identify with them in their desperation. Esther doesn't just ask the Jews to fast for her, she fasts with them. She throws aside her royal isolation to identify with her people and rescue them from certain death on the third day. Day. And as amazing as that is on its own, it is, a point, it is pointing us to a far greater rescue, the rescue through Christ, because Jesus is not the queen of Persia. He is the son of God. He is the king and creator of the universe. And he left behind the glory of heaven to become a man and to die for sin and to be raised on the third day to deliver anyone who will trust in him and raise them up to life on the last day forevermore. When Jesus came, he did not say like Esther, if I perish, I perish. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus left heaven to die in your place so that he could conquer death forever and raise you up from the grave. God's victory requires more than that Jesus would just identify with us, however. He identified with us by becoming a man. But it wasn't enough for him to just identify with us and die for us. His sacrifice for sin had to be accepted by the Father. And do you see what happens in Esther? The king of Persia accepts Esther. It doesn't seem likely that he will, but he does. And her acceptance ends up leading to life for God's people. Did you know that God the Father has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His Son? Did you know that Jesus, through His resurrection, is enthroned as King and made high priest forever? Acts 2.24a tells us that God raised Him up from the dead. 
Philippians chapter 2 tells us that through the resurrection that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. You see, the Father didn't just hold out the scepter to Jesus and say, touch it. He said, you know what? Here's the scepter. You take it. All glory and all honor and all authority belongs to you. And everybody you save, I'm going to commission to send in the world with the news that the grave cannot hold those. It can't hold those who belong to Jesus Christ, the King. Jesus has all authority, and because He has conquered the grave, we know that He is the living Lord Almighty in our place, reversing our death, pleading with the Father on our behalf. You say, I'm going to walk out of here, and I'm going to get in a traffic jam, and I'm going to say something. I'm going to think something. This morning, I was rushing to get here for Easter, and I had an attitude that displeased God. Did you know if you will give and surrender your life to Christ that All your sins are forgiven in Him because He is your advocate at the right hand of the Father, pleading not your good works, but His bloody sacrifice on the cross to forgive you and cleanse you and heal you and deliver you forevermore. Your acceptance by a holy God is possible in one place and one place only, the bloody cross of Christ who has been risen from the grave and will plead His sacrifice on your behalf forevermore if you will follow Him today. That's good news. And here's what it means. It means that what we do with Jesus is what we do with God. Your response to Jesus is your response to the living Lord of the universe. You can today receive Jesus by faith and receive a welcome into God's loving presence forevermore, or you can reject Jesus and you can expect God's full wrath against your sin forever. Those are the only two options. There's only one place in the world where the issue of God's righteous anger against our sin has been settled. It is settled in Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus proves that it is all true. Let me tell you, when you trust in Jesus, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins And you will discover what it's like to have a clean heart on the inside and to be welcomed into the presence of God because Jesus died for your sin and rose on the third day according to the Scriptures. It's in Genesis. It's in Exodus. It's in Joshua. It's in Esther. And it is all fulfilled in Jesus. At this time, I want to invite our worship team to the platform In just a moment, we're going to sing a song called Living Hope. We have a hope that conquers the grave because Jesus is alive. And of all the words I've spoken today, I can't convince you that Jesus is alive. There's there's only one who can convince you that Jesus is alive, and the Holy Spirit of God is here today. And if in the hearing of the gospel proclaimed today, if in the realization that God made it abundantly clear for centuries that He would send His Son to die and be a sacrifice for sin and conquer death on the third day, if the Spirit 
is working in your heart, if you are hearing the voice of God today, I want to urge you not to put it off any longer. In the Gospels, Jesus has been raised from the grave and he sees his disciples and his disciples believe in him, but there's a disciple who didn't get to be there. One of, the, one of his disciples was Thomas and all the disciples are like, Jesus is risen, Jesus is risen, it's amazing. He's like, I'm not so sure about that. So then Jesus and Thomas get to be together in John's Gospel, chapter 20. Jesus is there and Thomas is there. Jesus knows that Thomas is doubting and he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Did you know when we get to heaven, there's the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be only one person there that bears the marks and the proof and the evidence that they died, it's going to be Jesus. He's going to keep his scars. He's going to keep his wounds so that forevermore we can look to Jesus and know how we got there in the first place. And he welcomes Thomas to, to put his hands into his side. And, and Thomas, in that moment, knowing that he walked with this man for three years, seeing fully that he rose from the grave, said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. So it is with us. We must come to Jesus and say, he is my Lord and my God. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to you. Oh, if I could just see him. Oh, he's, he's more real than that. You can hear him. You can know his voice today. And if God is calling out to you like he did to Esther before Jesus ever showed up, just trust me. Just believe in me. Just know that the Lord will deliver you on the third day. Then the call this morning is much more than a call to accept Jesus. Did you know Jesus nowhere says in the Bible, just accept me? He doesn't say to accept it. Satan accepts that Jesus exists. Jesus is not calling you to accept him. He's not calling you to walk down one of these aisles or to check a box on a card. Jesus never says, if you want to live forever, just accept me. He didn't say to pray a magical prayer, to sign a card, or to walk an aisle. What did he say? He said, take up your cross and follow me. Stop living for yourself and your own ambitions and your own dreams and live for the glory of Christ. Live like Jesus did in the world. Die to yourself for the good of others. And the sign that you are really trusting in Christ. Do you know what the sign is in the New Testament? It's not that you stand down here this morning. It's not that you walk an aisle. It's not that you sign a card. The sign is called baptism. And you know what baptism shows? It shows that Jesus was buried and that when I trust in him, his death counts in my place. And when I baptize you, I hold you there for three days. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm kidding. And then... We bring you back out of the water because the grave could not hold our king. So this morning, here's the invitation. If you've heard not me, but the voice of God saying to you that Christ is risen from the grave, 
and you know him and you know that he's calling you to follow him today, I want to invite you to walk down one of these aisles and say to this pastor, I'm ready to follow Christ in baptism. So if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to worship the king who's conquered the grave and give your life in service to him, then I want to welcome you to come and confess your sin, call upon Jesus to save you, and as early as next week, we can baptize you. All who call upon the name of the Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, God will save. Don't wait another day. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that some people who came in living in despair would know what it is to have living hope. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.